0: hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head.
1: Huh? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore!
2: Pay no attention to
3: that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is no. Uh oh! Sounds like somebody's got a case of the mundos. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs>
1: do worry, I got an idea.
3: And now the host of the stupid cancer show,
2: Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that
1: there's anything wrong with
3: him Because he has a lot of chip spot. <laughs> Alright.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 376 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice. Of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, proud 20 year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org.
0: I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on
1: iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. What a great show. We're going to be profiling our friends at at Love, Hope, Strength, the world's leading rock and roll cancer foundation. You heard that right. Rock and roll cancer foundation aiming to save lives one concert at a time. How? By hosting on-site bone marrow drives at these concerts and festivals around the world. We're going to be joined by Katie Poffert, the VP of Programs at Love, Hope, Strength with a young adult breast cancer survivor blogger. Kiara uh, D'Agostino as our spotlight. gonna be a great show, and here we are. Full House. Hello. I feel like the calling up like at the beginning of Voltron. Red Lion, Sean Shapiro. Hello. Yellow Lion, Mallory Rivera. Hi. Green Lion, <coughs> Sean, uh, Noel Wimmer. Hey. Whatever your name is. Blue Lion, Kenny Kane. And I'll form the head. Never mind. Let, let's not. Right. You're going into a weird place with this. It got strange. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. Uh, Kenny, welcome back. Thank you. You were absentia last week. I was. You were absentia on a
0: beach? I was getting more freckles and sunburn. Hopefully, yeah, not too much sunburn. You
1: came back pretty uh, and freckled. I did. Even more and freckled than normal. You had a good time?
0: Yes. Always good mental
1: flossing, <laughs> regardless of where you are. We do let our employees take fabulous vacations. You didn't take any epic uh, Palatonia type of camera photos, though. No. Nothing worthy of framing on the wall. That is correct. Okay. But you had a time? Yeah. Good. Yep. Uh, Sean, uh, quick uh, hello to you. We are coming up on our inaugural Epic fundraiser in Denver.
0: Yes, it is an evolution of another fundraiser, but it is the first year ever that we're calling it Toast Denver. Uh, it's at the brand new Art Hotel. It was recognized by the USA Today magazine as the number five uh, best new hotel of 2015. Um so super excited lots of friends and family coming together for a good night of uh dervs drinks
1: and you speaking. Yes, I will be there and I'm staying at the art uh and I'm very excited to to be doing that. It, it is it looks like to so Frank Gary, we know Frank Gary is like this incredibly inspiring uh, architect whose buildings are non-standard. They look like, you know, contorted whatever. Um, there's a funny scene in The Simpsons where he guest starred, and he's he's designing houses, and everything he doesn't like, he crumples up, and the, this paper gets crumpled up on the floor. He's like, that's it, and he built a building that looked like crumpled paper. Huh. So the art hotel looks like crumpled paper. It's really modern. It's really amazing, and we're really excited, and you were just in. Denver you met I all, was all I was people there I was doing a
0: little reconnaissance and meeting with some folks that are planning the event we can't do it by ourselves so we have a really awesome volunteer committee helping plan it um, but yeah the event is April 7th it's a
1: Thursday yeah and Toast, and you can buy tickets and sponsor at toast.stupidcancer.org we like that very simple Mal, how you doing
2: I am just standing.
0: Yeah,
1: when I I was gonna hold off on having you be uh you know, verbal vocal. tonight. Yeah, yes. terribly vocal tonight.
2: As uh, I am voiceless.
1: Yes. But you you are doing a decent job being voiceless.
2: Lots of years of uh training.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so who is your favorite um Oscars uh, performance? Dave Girl actually or Lady Gaga
2: did not see any of the oscars no i like a good person with a cold went to bed early
1: Uh, okay
2: yes i will uh, be binging that later on
1: yeah dave Grohl did an amazing tribute i heard i'm gonna cry and gaga played like this 14 foot grand piano was insane
2: i i heard that those two can
0: and will make me cry yeah i'm looking forward to crying over those
1: later stuff dr wimmer how are you sir
0: i am doing well thank you
1: so when's your vacation
0: uh, middle of March, and actually just decided today that, um, with a couple friends, instead of going skiing, we're going to Costa Rica. So oh, wow.
1: Oh, Pretty excited very nice. about that, yeah. Aruba lost Aruba. out. Aruba. <laughs>
0: really good, cheap tickets to, uh, Costa Rica. He direct, ruled the so. ice
1: slip right away, and he's just yeah, going to group. Much. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Well, we have some, some cool news to announce. We dropped this last week after last Monday's show, but, uh, we have our, our f- official amazing guest artist keynote performer extraordinaire at uh, CancerCon, which is April 28, nine thirty May 1st, Andrew McMahon. Uh, of course, i the corporate Jack Matic and the Dear Jack Foundation. He is going to be in Denver to give a live concert and speak with me on stage and be interviewed and uh, live questions and answers via Twitter from our audience and on social. Really big deal. And I think we only have like, what, 50? Maybe 50 spots left? Less than that. Less than 50 spots left.
2: We're, we're like in the 20 range. Well,
1: wow. All right. So yeah, this is like that total recall. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Denver. Uh, don't miss out. Uh, CancerCon.org. Tickets are... Uh, registration is on sale. Yes. Well, wait. What is it? Registration. registration. Yes, You can register. Not tickets. Presently. Tickets for toast. Register for CancerCon. It's going to be amazing. Really amazing. And uh, I did want to just touch on the Cancer Moonshot because my, my new... Uh, U.S. News piece broke last week, which was exciting because it made Yahoo Health, which blows U.S. News out of the water. And it was all about, uh, you know, we're so done with the word cure, which we've been saying for years now. But I took a little shot at the moonshot because they're using the word cure in a way that I think just kind of makes everyone accept that there's one magic cure. And it kind of does a disservice to groups like ours that fight for survivorship but uh, check it out. Um, go to MatthewZachary.com and click on the U.S. News link, and you can get it there. But, you know, the whole point is that, you know, is it fair to expect the rest of the world outside of our bubble to just understand the insane biological nerdy nuances of what cancer really is, or should they really just believe there's a magic cure one day that we'll solve with a pill? So, interesting. I got a lot of A lot of weird feedback. Um, someone was really obnoxious. Oh, now the nonprofit people are in the pockets of pharma. They just want to keep us sick. So, gotta love that. But it's it's Yahoo. It's Yahoo. They're going down. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh well. What are you going to do? Um, any other insane news? Anything in the store? New Kenny? Oh, the bar mats, right? Uh, yes. We have bar mats. Um, now we're expanding our presence on Amazon
0: soon, which is exciting. Uh. Planning meetups for the Stupid Cancer Road Trip, which we announced. Uh, You can visit stupidcancerroadtrip.org to see where we are heading. John and I in our 2016 Chevy Camaro. Uh, It's gonna be great. Um, Awesome, including our stop in Anchorage. That's
1: right. The surprise, not surprise, stop in (laughs) Anchorage. Cool. Well, amazing stuff. All amazing stuff. And uh, let's let's uh, let's start our show. In our spotlight, Chiara D'Agostino is a recent triple negative breast cancer survivor and uh, nearing the end of her treatment as we speak. She's had two uh, single mastectomies chronicled by the Wall Street Journal's The Double Mastectomy Rebellion article. Fabulous read if you uh, can Google it. Uh, she's approaching her reconstruction. Uh, Chiara blogs about her journey like angry blogs the way I like to. At her uh, beauty... Uh, I'm going to read... Oh, my, my brain's beautythroughthebeast.com. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show... Chiara D'Agostino, <laughs> you know, like when words like blend into other words and you don't and I yeah, yeah. That's I, lo- okay. I love Thank your you. blog. You are the, the consummate angry blogger that we always like to have oh, boy. the controversial nature and just just being honest about stuff is so it's less rare now, but it's always incredibly welcome.
2: Thank you. Well, I've, I haven't been called an angry blogger. This is the first time. Um, so I didn't realize that was my reputation. But I do like being called the honest blogger.
1: No, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's <laughs> fluid. It's honest. It's it raw. Yeah. And you're not ashamed to just put it all out there. And you, right. you have every right to and we we still look at a lot of folks who like to hide and want to be either ashamed by it or, or And this is a big deal. So kudos to you for, for having
2: Thank you. I like to think that I write about things that you don't find in the pamphlet while you're waiting in the oncologist's office. You know, you usually see these pictures of families supporting each other. And like there's there's a lot that goes on when you have cancer, when you're diagnosed. And um, so I like to write about these things. It helps me. um, It just it helps me. And I hope I'm helping other women and men.
1: No, and and I, I was twenty one when I my mom drove into the sperm bank, so I totally get that that welcome to cancer Dick and Jane book that they kind of toss at you that has oh no meaning and purpose whatsoever. Um, and we're you know we're kind of left to fend for ourselves, and you know triple negative is no 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 uh, no easy game. So exactly, um, was this a routine mammogram or was this an accident or did you know you had some kind of genetic Predisposition?
2: Um well that's a good question. I like to um I always like to highlight that I had a routine mammogram in August of 2014. I was 42. And then on the eve of my 43rd birthday in October of 2014, I found a large mass on my left breast. And I was thoroughly confused because my mammogram said that I was healthy and fine. And so did my doctor when I went for my annual physical in in that August. Um, And I had uh, another mammogram and In that mammogram, the lump did not show up because I have dense tissue in my breast. So I didn't know that when I go to a mammogram, I need to ask the radiologist, "Do I have dense tissue in my breast?" And if so, I need further testing. Right. (laughs) And and I learned subtle things like that. I'm sorry.
1: Subtle things like that.
2: Subtle, important, (laughs) life-altering things like that. Exactly. And um, so what happened was they finally found the, the lump when they did an ultrasound and the biopsy proved that it was cancerous. And we went on from there. But I was told that if you have uh, dense tissue in your breast, finding a tumor is like finding a snowball in a snowstorm because it all just comes out white.
1: Well, that's a massive discussion at the highest levels of, of bureaucracy and politics around what is the proper age to diagnose a woman mm-hmm. or to start mastectomy, but there really is no solution for women typically pre-menopause who have denser breast tissue, especially we're seeing teenagers getting breast cancer now while they're like pubescent and post Oh, that's so how,
2: scary. It's horrible.
1: And how <sighs> do you even, what is the mammogram for dense breast tissue and where is that tech if it exists at all?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a law passed in New Jersey before I got this mammogram that they need to tell you. And maybe they did tell me in a letter. I, I really don't know. I'm sure that if I, if I read it, I would have said, oh, I need further testing. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I don't think it should be left up to us patients. I feel like we should be told, <laughs> look, you have dense tissue. We need to do further testing.
1: Right. It's a literacy gap. in them realizing you're not 80.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so luckily we did find it and it was uh, stage two slash stage three. And then we went from there with everything that you do with cancer. I had ACT chemotherapy, lost my hair, um, you know, had a single mastectomy and that's where the New York Times article that you mentioned comes in where they interviewed me as to why a woman with a single with cancer in one breast that's not BRCA positive would elect to get a double mastectomy.
1: Right. So you were already being judged.
2: <laughs> I thought it was it was, you know, I was making the decision and the article was a little judgmental. Um but again, I, I'm, I like to talk about what's going on. For me, it's therapeutic. And I also find it if I can help other people and help educate women or kind of be that voice that they, maybe other women are too shy to speak up, um, you know, I don't mind doing it.
1: No, and, uh. and and clearly not. I mean, your your story, as I've read it, and I've read the article in the in the journal. It, it, again, it's, it's a very compelling piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the, you're a consummate young adult story in that you were single, but you were dating, and then your boyfriend, I and mean, reading, he broke up with you. Right after your mastectomy,
0: mm-hmm. we've had
1: so many horror stories that resonate with many of our people. One of our board members was was in, married. And or engaged and the the fiancé like broke off the engagement the day he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Mm -hmm. So these are our stories that are just so not well represented in the narrative of of our generation.
2: Absolutely. They don't they don't talk about that. So when it does happen to to us, um, you know, we're in shock. I was in shock. I was like, what are aren't you you supposed to be there for me? through Thick and thin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: So you went you know, completely abandoned alone, did you have any support whatsoever? There are lots of, I mean, 2014, that was only a few years ago. There are several triple negative breast cancer groups and communities out there. Were you able to find them or connect with them or benefit from them?
2: Absolutely, I was. I um, The major one was SHARE in support group in Manhattan. Um, they do support groups for cancer, uh, for breast and ovarian cancer. They do on the phone and they have... Um, groups in their office. So I would go into this, take the bus into the city when I wasn't feeling well, when I, when I was bald and nauseous and go in there twice a week, um, for their support group. And that really helped sitting in a room full of people, women that would tell me what to expect and give me tips and pointers. And I would just cry. And they were like, this is normal. And I finally felt normal because
1: you weren't being judged.
2: And the home that I was living in with my boyfriend at the time, you know, I didn't feel normal. Um, You know, I felt like a problem. I felt like I was in the way. Um, So so that felt really good. I called the American Cancer Society. I asked them for some, you know, for some meetings. Um, I went to this place in Ocean Grove, New Jersey called Mary's Place by the Sea, which was fantastic. It's a home for women going through any kind of cancer where you can go and stay there for two nights and they offer free massage and Reiki and organic meals and um, visualization and prayer. <laughs> like That's awesome. These, it, was, it was awesome. At first I was like, I don't really want to go to a place with a bunch of cancer patients. And eventually I embraced it and I went and I'm so glad that I did. And I've gone back a few times because they're so nurturing and it's, so, it's just beautiful there.
1: Have you worked at all or heard of the Young Survival Coalition?
2: I I've I've heard of it. Wait, is that the one based out of California, uh, Pennsylvania?
1: No, they're here in okay. New York. They're they're national in scope and uh, they solely focus on women that are not eighty with breast cancer.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: not necessarily triple negative, but they have a sub of triple negative. There's also a group I I know about called the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Research Foundation. I think that's their name. Uh, they are in Northern Jersey. And they basically just fra- fundraised specifically to find triple negative breast cancer, like cures or detection or less toxic treatments or, you know, extending life and things like that. So Thank um, you
2: for those.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, but it's fascinating if you, like, no one knew what triple negative was five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. No and Braca only exists in the mind's eye like because of Angelina Jolie, <laughs> because of
2: Angelina you Angelina. know, oh but the, these whole
1: hereditary risk cancers, they're only like 6% of cancer, but they matter. And we want to be able to provide that platform here at the stupid cancer show in our organization to get mm-hmm. your story out to millions of people. So a part of where I'm, I'm empathetic on so many levels is I was diagnosed at 21. I was obviously single in college, but I was left pretty much for dead. Like you're, you cured go home, be yourself. And I lost my career. I lost my friends. Mm-hmm. And I went completely alone uh, for, for like five years before I felt like dating again or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this idea of you talk about self-image, sexuality, you know, confidence. What are people going to think of me? Worrying about stigma, and that's something you have to face.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You want to talk about that?
2: Sure, it is absolutely. That's that's actually where I'm at now. I've had the other, so I had the one single mastectomy in April of this of uh, 2015, and then the right mastectomy in December of 2015. And, um, after my first mastectomy, they told me that I was pretty much, I don't know, they didn't say cancer free, but there was no cancer detected in my pathology report. So, so that's great. And so now I'm, I'm nearing the end where, like you said, I'm going to have reconstruction at the end of April. And, and I'm thinking like, what, you know, what does that mean? Where am I in this survivorship? Like, I feel like I'm just waking up from a bad dream um, because I feel like I've gone through this horrible, horrendous journey, nightmare of a journey <laughs> for the past year and a half. And, and now I'm coming out kind of the other end of it. But, you know, can you just say, yay, I'm cancer free or cancer's behind me, or I'm a survivor and just, you know, throw a party and feel great and like move on. And
1: well, you did you, the right thing in your bio. You put the word done in quotes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> when am I done? Yeah. Right. Right. Cause we never are. I and mean, no. we're always... Going back for checkups to see if the cancer, God forbid, comes back. And I, and as you as you know, you said that um, I have been single for almost a year now. My boyfriend did uh, kick me out after my single mastectomy, and um, and I just recently joined all the apps and the online. You know, I'm on Match and I'm on the different online apps for dating, and I've gone on several dates with different people, and nothing's stuck yet. Um, but there's always that conversation that I dread. Like, what do you do? Right. And mm-hmm. uh, currently I'm not working because I'm still going through treatment and I have this blog. So and I was an Italian teacher. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to continue doing that or what. But um, Well, so, I read the
1: Italian teacher from Jersey, like the perfect combination.
2: <laughs> Jersey Italian teacher. Yeah. Exactly. What grade? Um, I would, the last position I had was high school, which is, which I loved. I love that created the best. Sure,
1: sure, sure. So your career was affected. Your relationship was affected. Your personal self image was affected. Yeah. This is the young adult cancer story. This is exactly why, you know, we're not better or worse than any other age group, but this is insanely different Mm
2: -hmm. than
1: being six or 80. And I, I always make fun of the 80 year olds because they're 80, but I can't wait to be 80. Basically, Mm -hmm. I want to be 80 one day and be made fun of for being 80.
2: I hope Um, to be 80 someday. We'll be
1: thrilled to be 80 on a porch somewhere. Exactly. So in terms of the what's next, you're in a very, um, I would say, very aspirational period of time in the annals of survivorship because, A, that's a word now, Mm
3: -hmm. and,
1: B, there's a science behind that. And depending on where you're being treated, they may have, like, long-term follow-up breast cancer triage in young women is like a thing. Your reconstruction is probably it should be free, and that's because of progress. Mm-hmm. And we have to thank Debbie Wasserman Schultz for making that happen because she built that into the Affordable Care Act in 2011. So these are you are part of the progress of the fruits of labor for the last 15 years.
2: Mm.
1: And you know we again groups like Stupid Cancer and the, the uh, what was it the the Jersey place that I desperately want to go to now with the reggae.
2: Mary's Place Mary's by the place. Sea. Yes.
1: I, I, I don't want to have to go there, but it sounds like a great right. place. And again, I would mention the Young Survival Coalition. They have a conference coming up in two weeks in Atlanta, obviously too late for this year. But they're a great group where you could literally have a party for three days with a bunch of young women. Again, the not 60, 80-year-old women. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, again, there's no stigma. Half of them have one boob, no boobs, their or post or whatever it is, they don't care. Right. And it's, it's, it is your community and it, it exists now. And it's, it's a fascinating staple of progress over the last 10 years that we've been fighting for.
2: That sounds wonderful. I'll definitely look them up. One thing that you just mentioned about having no boobs, one boob, whatever, um, Something fun that I did before I had my mastectomy was I threw a boob bye party for myself.
1: Boobai, bye, I love it.
2: Did you... <laughs> um, so yeah, and it and I'm just mentioning it cuz again, it's not something typical, I think. I mean, everyone, I think most of the women do something. They might burn bras or something the night before. But it, for me, it stemmed from living with my boyfriend at the time. And he worked long hours. And I was afraid of being home alone the night before my mastectomy and being depressed and scared. So I said, I'm a social person. I said, you know what, I'm going to invite my friend, my girlfriends over so I can be surrounded by their love and support. And I called it a boo by party. I invited 100 women and about 50 came and We just hung out and laughed and prayed together. And then um, when it came time for my second mastectomy, uh, this local salon in town, it's a beautiful salon. It used to be a church and they converted it into a hair salon called Bang Salon and Spa. They offered me their space, and um, since I'm not working, I didn't have much money, so I went around to all the establishments in Montclair where I live. I had 28 restaurants, donate food, (laughs) and I had a free photographer, like DJ. It was the most wonderful, beautiful thing for me. So um, that's something else that I've been doing that I kind of – I've now trademarked the name Bai, and hopefully at some point – I've created a business, like an LLC out of it. And I'd love to be able to offer that to other women somehow so that, you know, if they want to be supported the night before their mastectomy in this way, I can help them organize that event for them.
1: No, I I love the idea. we got about three minutes left, but I really want to get to your blog because you write some compelling stuff. Why call it Beauty Through the Beast?
2: Thank you for asking. Um, So I feel like when you're going through cancer, I, I just felt ugly disgusting like like the Zelda what what did I call myself the Zelda in the attic just like the monster in the attic that nobody wants to talk about and um I just felt like what is you know how do you feel beautiful is it on the outside or is it on the inside and it's on the inside it's you know what you what you show from inside so beauty through the beast is How can you, where is your beauty? What does that mean for you as you're going through something as horrendous as cancer?
1: Really compelling stuff. Um, Are you in Montclair right now? I am. Okay, that's very cool. Well, we're right here in the city. If you ever get into town, we'd love to meet you in person. Oh,
2: that'd be wonderful. We
1: have a big conference every October here in the city as well, so we can keep you updated on that. That'd
2: be great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so I guess my takeaways before we wrap are like, what is your message to other women? I mean, you're clearly still in the thick of it, even though mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, we say, you know, when the doctor says you're cured disease for you go home, that's not the end of the story. You're clearly in the, not the end of the story part of the story. So what is, what would you like women to learn from you and your choices?
2: Um, I guess know your breast density, um, get tested, get to know your breast. So do self exams and um, just get tested and ask how dense your breast tissue is and get further testing if needed. Not everybody that you think is going to be there for you uh, when you're sick is going to be there for you. And then there's a lot of people that you may not know that will come out of the woodwork and help you. Um, It's a very emotional, difficult period. So If you're the kind of person that seeks help, please do so. There's so much help out there, whether it's online or on the phone or in person. Um, You know, you don't have to go through this alone. So and um, and this, you know, when you're a survivor, it's not like, yay, I'm a survivor. I mean, yes, I am so happy and grateful that I'm alive. But there's also the aftermath of being a survivor and how you like turn that corner and continue on into life and what that looks like.
1: Wonderfully said. Thank you. We've been speaking with Kiara D'Agostino, recent triple negative breast cancer survivor blogging at beautythroughthebeast.com on Twitter, CancerBTTB. Please Google the Wall Street Journal article, The Double Mastectomy Rebellion. Kiara, thank you so much, and we hope to meet you in person.
2: I I hope so, too. Thank you very much. Okay,
1: bye-bye. Bye. All right, Kenny. And now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on
0: over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own stupid cancer meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, Matt, just two this week, San Diego, California, and Anchorage, Alaska. And stay tuned to Stupid Cancer Road
1: Trip. .org. Right, that thing. Yeah, that small thing coming up. 14 stops or something. Nothing big. No one should fake cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers now on your mobile phone or tablet device. Instapeer. We launch a news
0: feed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at
1: stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. For young adults, clinical trials are a red-hot mess. So, we at Stupid Cancer are throwing our hat in the ring to make some sense of the madness. Introducing I Am Not a Trial. Real young adults, real faces, and real stories plucked straight from our own community. Watch the entire video series and engage us at IamNotATrial.com.
0: Support our programs and services by heading over to StupidCancerStore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's StupidCancerStore.org. Be proud, wear Stupid Cancer, and that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer cancer news. News.
1: In our main segment, we are going to be speaking with uh, Katie Popper, the Vice President of Programs at the Love, Hope, Strength, the World's Leading Rock and Roll Cancer Foundation that aims to save lives one concert at a time by hosting on-site bone marrow drives at concerts and festivals across the globe. This is going to be a great interview. She's an amazing person. And in our fabulous, famous city of Denver, please welcome Katie Popper. Hello.
3: Hello. So excited to be on the show! Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. I know it's, it's um,
1: been a while since ahead, we had sorry. you guys on the air. So profoundly your work, yeah. So we, we need to
3: we need to let everybody know all the exciting things we're doing. Um, I, th- I actually come from a medical background. I'm an oncology nurse as well. So I have seen way too many patients that were unable to find that life-saving bone marrow transplant, uh, the match for it. So I am very motivated every day. To find matches for all of these patients in need and the music world happens to have some of the healthy young sales that we target <laughs> um, they're the people that like to go to shows so that's kind of why we started setting up at these concerts and festivals nationally so we started um, really in 2008 was some of the first bone marrow drives we were doing on-site at rock concerts and Since then, it's kind of snowballed to the point where now we actually have artists reaching out to us and wanting us on site at their shows because um, what happens is when we find these matches through their um, concerts, we know where they came from. So we're able to reach back out to them and let them know just how many matches and just how many lives were saved as a direct result of them just saying, yes, come set up uh, at my show. And so typically once they hear about one match they're like oh my gosh this is the coolest thing ever we want you guys everywhere we go um it's very hands-off for them we don't ask for any money at our tables. we typically just set up right by the merch um we just give people give their fans the opportunity to sign up to the registry free of charge and it takes you know about two minutes and a quick cheek swab and yes it's okay if they've had a beer or two as long as they know exactly what they're saying and that they're very cognizant, uh, we get asked that a lot with a cheek swab. But unfortunately, at concerts and festivals, we would hardly get anyone if that was an issue. So luckily, uh, that alcohol evaporates off the cheek swabs, and we are able to sign up nice, healthy donors. And um, to date, we have signed up just over 120,000 music fans, and we have found 2,238 potentially life-saving matches.
1: I have a number of questions to ask you. The interview's over.
3: (laughs) Pretty amazing, isn't
1: it? Let me ask you, it's, it's, you know, I've been doing this for a while now. It's few and far between that. I find someone that crosses over from the oncology professional world to lead a charity. Yeah. How, how does that help you distinguish your role in setting goals and running the programs of the organization?
3: I think um, I bring in a, a piece that was never there before. Uh, we always kind of see we're a rock and roll cancer foundation. I bring in the cancer side. We have a gentleman that was the tour manager for uh, Donovan Frankenreiter, uh that's kind of the rock and roll side. <laughs> and um, I am just very driven I think more than most because I know exactly what these patients are going through and I am more than happy to help on this side of it because it's a phenomenal way to volunteer as well. And as you probably know, Matt, and most survivors know, it's really nice to be able to give back on the other side and to not be the one needing things. Um, most patients really enjoy paying it forward, and this is a really fun way to do that. They get to come out, they get to you know, sign people up during the opening acts, and then typically we close down and they go see the live show for free. Um, So it's a great way to see some live music. And, again, they're told as well when the matches come through. So they feel really good that they're able to help their fellow cancer patients that are currently out there in need. Um, So, you know, I I guess I also get a lot of questions. It's a very um, medical procedure. Obviously, collecting the marrow itself um, isn't all that simple, although, thank goodness, it's nothing like it used to be. Um, it is still a medical procedure. So I do a lot of education uh, for our volunteers. So they feel confident at the booth telling people what's involved if there's a very small chance that you are the match for somebody and you get that phone call. Um, just to just to clarify, because it's a misconception, I think, out there everywhere, there is no drilling involved in bone marrow donation. Um, about 80% of the time, we can actually collect ourselves peripherally So through the bloodstream, somewhat similar to a blood donation, that does take longer than that. It's about a four or five hour procedure where you're laying in a bed um, circulating your cells through an apheresis machine and that's how they're collecting um, the stem cells which are found in the marrow these days. So that's most of the time. There is still another about 20% of the time they'll go through the pelvis, but what that means is... You go in that morning. They put you under general anesthesia, so knock out. They use two hollow needles. There's no drilling. Uh, They extract the amount they need from the backs of your pelvis. You wake up, walk home that same day. Most of our donors are back to work within 48, 72 hours. Um, One kid that we collected when I was there said, feels like he fell off a snowboard. (laughs) So, you know, it's not much worse than you do to yourself recreationally. But in the meantime, not only have you saved a life, but you are literally the only person that could save that life. So the reward versus the slight discomfort uh, to donate, I think, it is so overwhelmingly huge that uh, I've never collected a donor who said on the other side, oh, my gosh, that was horrible, or I'd never do it again. In fact, it's usually the polar opposite. They're like, that was so much easier than I thought it was going to be, and that was the coolest thing I could have ever done. So um, just to dispel the myth that don't, bone marrow donation is horrible and painful, it really is very doable.
1: I mean, I would go back to some of the earlier shows we've done with other groups and maybe even the first time we had you guys on where there is, was, maybe there isn't anymore, this massive stigma around what it means to be a bone marrow donor. Have there been any insanely high-profile matches that have perhaps destigmatized what this means, or is society getting more immune, no pun intended, to the idea of doing this as a way to give in or give back or whatnot?
3: Right. Um, unfortunately I think the stigma is still there. Um, we do a lot of educating. That's the number one thing we do. Um, just because people either have never heard of it or if they've heard of it, they're, they're still into that drill scenario. Um, I think Robin Roberts was one of the big ones that uh, you may be referring to that had her transplant very publicly. Um, but they didn't really touch on she, her sister was her donor and they didn't really touch on what the donation was like. I don't think as much in that story. Um, but certainly it's more known now in the world because unfortunately, um, uh, more people are in need of transplants and, um, Just, I think, you know, in People just this last week, um, Delete Blood Cancer had a big story about a young kid um, who met, um, oh my gosh, I just blanked his name, the guy from The Bachelor. uh, um, Anyway, uh, you know, there's more celebrities getting involved. And as you know, the more celebrities that are involved, that's the way to get the word out and to let people know that it really is okay and it's really necessary.
1: Well, let's me let me, let's take a step back. We often forget that we live in a bubble. What is a transplant and why do people need it?
3: Right. So a bone marrow transplant is something that is used in primarily uh, leukemia is the number one. We also do aplastic anemias, uh, some lymphomas, um, every once in a while, multiple myeloma. What it is is those patients, uh, the cancer is being formed actually in their marrow or their marrow is not functioning well for some reason. And it's been proven that no matter how much chemotherapy or radiation you give them, the cancer keeps coming back. So the only proven cure has been to absolutely wipe out their own bone marrow and bring them down to zero, as in they really have zero bone marrow cells, and then um, engraft them with some nice, healthy patient. And the bone marrow is smart enough that it knows it actually goes in through their central line, almost just like a blood donation. It drips into the patient, but then it finds its way into their marrow and, um, and grafts and starts, I kind of like to talk about it as like a, a garden where the cancer is weeds and the rest of the cells are just healthy garden. But unfortunately, you can't just pull the weeds out. You have to wipe out the whole garden. And so when you're planting these new cells, they go into the garden and they take root and they start producing new healthy cells from the donor. So something that people don't realize is it doesn't matter what your blood type is because your patient is going to become your blood type because they are now producing your healthy cells out of their marrow, which is pretty phenomenal that it even works.
1: Isn't it true, <laughs> it Katie, doesn't. isn't it true that sometimes females match with males and then you have female DNA?
3: That's exactly right, yep, because, again, you've got the the donor DNA now. I I used to tease patients that it would be a perfect time to go commit a crime when they're kind of trans <laughs> <laughs> when they're in the middle of um uh, But yeah, so that's kind of what transplanted and it has taken patients from who may have a ten or twenty percent chance of survival all the way up to seventy or eighty. So it's been uh life changing for many of these people who can go on and, and live a healthy life.
1: So what are the numbers? I think you mentioned a couple that you guys have been responsible for. How many patients, Mm -hmm. we look at 1.7 million new diagnoses a year in the U.S. What percentage of them require transplant?
3: Um, 1.7, it's only, it's about 50,000. So it's a, you know, fairly small wedge of that. But if you're one of the (laughs) 50,000, you don't feel like that's a small wedge. So the problem becomes, Um, only about 30% of all those patients will match with one of their siblings. So that's the very first thing they do. When they say, you need a bone marrow transplant, we're going to start looking, they test their siblings. But only 30% of all patients will find that match within the sibling. So the other 70% have to rely on the kindness of a stranger and this big um, database to find their match. And though it's a national registry, we actually share it internationally. So we share it with all the other countries as well. And um, I often say, you know, if if you're Italian heritage or, you know, from some another country, especially not too far removed, a lot of times you may match a patient in that country. Sadly, we can't fly you there. We take your cells here and you're, they go in a nice little cooler over to Italy. <laughs> um, so it is an, an international sharing of cells as well, which obviously helps. Um, but there are still, unfortunately, thousands every year that don't end up finding their match and pass away because that's, again, as we discussed, they're really their one cure.
1: So we look at, you know, so so from a purely mathematical perspective, is the, mm-hmm. is the answer to these um, matches, the, these uh, patients that need uh, marrow transplants, just more people swabbing around the world?
3: You got it. It's a direct line. The more that get on the list, the more that can match, the more lives we save. It's pretty easy.
1: So there's only so many concerts around the world. (laughs) Yes. Is there a more global approach to, you can't make it mandatory. There's no way, like you get your driver's license, you get swapped. There's no way to do this. I would imagine Uh it's a little biologically invasive to just do this. It has to be voluntary. Is, Is there a larger structure to improve the access to people willing to give a spit, pun intended.
3: You know, that is a that is an ongoing um, issue, and it's funny you say that because we have talked about exactly the DMV, like how do you get in somewhere like that and have access to literally every person that's coming through, um, but as of now, there really isn't uh, like a government-based or, or like any real big policy out there uh, to get more people signed up. So, although we do it at concerts and festivals, there are obviously other um, foundations that focus more on, like, patient-specific drives. Be the Match is is really great with those um, as far as, you know, who, when somebody is in need of one and they want to sign up their community kind of thing. Um, And there's college campus outreaches for sure, Um, but I, I think... Unfortunately, that that's something that America is certainly lacking is some way that we can reach more people and make it more part of our culture to give back and to, you know, be educated about how easy it really is.
1: So now the elephant in the room is can <laughs> cancer survivors donate?
3: That's a great. I get that a lot because cancer survivors want to give back, as we said. Uh, unfortunately, they cannot unless they are in situ. There's a, a few um, minor blips to it. If, if like it was thyroid and they didn't have chemo or radiation, um, some some cancers are still okay, but 90% of them are not eligible to sign up. There's a variety of reasons. Mostly it's that we just need our donors to be as healthy as possible because this is an altruistic act. And we want to make sure everything goes really well and smoothly for the donors, too. Um, The other thing is it's an immune system thing that we're replacing here. And, you know, if you've gone through a a bout of cancer at one point or another, you were neutropenic, or at least you were brought your immune system was attacked with the chemo. Um, So, again, it's just a matter of getting the healthiest donors we can on the registry.
1: Right, because I remember a while ago, been even 10 years ago or recently, I think DKMS came to me and said, would you be willing to help us organize a drive? And I said, sure, but everyone that came was a cancer survivor. <laughs> so like, it was a complete waste of time. But I had no idea, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't know what I, what I know yeah. today, that we're like just chronically ineligible to give back in that particular way
3: in that particular way yes however you can sign up your healthy friends and family members that have never had cancer and right. if they were lucky enough to match somebody that's a direct link to you because you reached out and made that happen so there are there are other ways to give back
1: so what what happens or it's, i don't know if you can keep track of this you know just in, yeah. in in a pragmatic way but when someone matches do they know each other do they find each other this is like finding your lost dad like how does that right. you know what does it look like <laughs>
3: Yeah, so um, when they match, they after they donate, they are given um, frequent updates from the donor center where the patient was treated about how their patient is doing. So they may receive an email like six weeks later, hey, you know, your patient has engrafted or your patient is going home or, or even your patient is not doing well. They do, you know, let them know these steps along the way. And then um, a year after a transplant, they are eligible to sign forms on both sides that say, yes, I would love to meet my patient. And Then the patient has to do the same. Yes, I would love to meet my donor because it's all this HIPAA uh, violation, very similar to you know organ donation, um, making sure everybody really wants this to happen. And then if all parties agree, um, usually it starts with an email introduction, and then they kind of take it from there as far as if they want to actually physically meet or not. Uh, I have been lucky enough to be part of many of these meetings, and they are some of the most emotionally. You're talking about finding your lost father. It, it is very similar to that because this person literally saved your life. And for parents of small children, or, or you know, young adults, or anybody that they really gave them back a whole lot of years, um, they, 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 I guess they, they just can't even express their gratitude to this donor because there's no way to thank somebody for that. So it's it's pretty amazing. And I always tell my donors, it's like they won the lottery when they get that phone call because well, what a of cool course. thing, right? Yes. I mean, it, yep. to be able to, to do that for someone.
1: So we got about a minute or two left. Who, who, okay. you, I want you to name drop. Who are some of the coolest bands you work with?
3: <laughs> Everybody always likes. So we drive a little mini that's uh, signed by all of the artists or a lot of the artists we work with. And the number one signature on that mini is Robert Plant. Wow. Um, yes. So people are always really impressed with that. We've had Hall & Oates. Uh, we've had uh, Michael Franti. Um, we've had Flogging Molly's, one of our big bands we tour with, Dropkick Murphys. Um, we were just with uh, Ziggy Marley and his brother Stephen. Um, You know, there's a lot. Uh, That's pretty cool. We just found a match with
1: some fighters. Wonderful. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've always been a huge fan of what you guys do. And even though it's kind of outside what we can do, besides, because we're going to rally just survivors at this point. But Mm -hmm. this is so critical because when you're successful, we get more best friends, part of our universe. That's exactly right. You know, whether they're part of us or not, they're going to be part of us at some point. And I hate. That your point of entry to stupid cancer is your diagnosis, but we're here for you, and that's better than it used to be. So you guys keep rocking on, and I'm so excited that we get to be working with you directly now that CancerCon's in Denver.
3: Yes, it's phenomenal. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to seeing all you guys again.
1: going to be great. Well, Katie Sullivan Poppert, I love that you put your middle name in here. Um, <laughs> That's
3: can, my maiden name. I got. I, I got to keep the Irish out
1: there. Now, oncology nurse turned VP of programming for one of the coolest charities in the country, uh, Love Hope Strength. I can't thank you enough for joining us. The website is lovehopestrength.org dot org, and your Twitter is L H S H. What? It's like four L-H-S-F. It's L-H-S-F. L H S F L H S F Love
3: Hope Strength Foundation
1: L H L H S F
3: Twitter. Right. Thank
1: you so much. I can't wait Thanks. to see you in a couple of weeks. Appreciate it. Have a great
3: evening. All right. Bye, Katie. Bye bye.
1: And now it's time for our closing sequence.
3: Prepare to activate.
0: Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets.
3: Have You ever seen a grown man naked? And so to all of you, a fond farewell.
1: Hooray! I'm helping! You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo! You've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
0: Okay, folks, that's our show. The 376th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud.
1: I'd like to thank our guests. Jared D'Agostino and Katie Popper from Love, Hope, Strength. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity, comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.